When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. How are you, my friend? Uh, doing well, doing well. This was um, this was qu- kind of cool. I think this was really like the first the first time I really listened to a- an Iron Maiden album in the in the that classic Dickinson era from start to finish. So um, more of a greatest hits man, I-, I think you are. right? Yeah, for sure. And so, like, I, I definitely learned a couple of new songs that I really like, and and uh, it was an easy. Um, it was an easy listen. It wasn't super long. All the songs were, were like really catchy. So uh, I look forward to talking about it. Good. I picked peace of mind for next week. So we'll get to do it again. No, um, <laughs> kidding, kidding aside, I thought about it, but I didn't. Um, before we get to some Maiden, let's let's talk about some new stuff that came out. Have you had a chance to listen to the new Delane single by any chance? I did. I, honestly, um, I found that um, the uh, – I, I, I'm going to – blank on on her name and i, I don't want to get it wrong so I'll, I'll look it up so i'm not looking stupid but um yeah diana leah um i thought she sounded qu- a, quite a bit like charlotte on this track more so than on the the previous single um but uh i will say I, i'm looking forward to hearing the first track where with marco on it because i know he's going to be doing uh guest vocals on this album because he has done many guest vocals for Delane over the years, um, especially on the the first two albums, but also uh, I think on one of the later releases as well. And I just feel like we haven't heard his voice. Uh, we we went, you know, talked about it in full last last week when we talked about Nightwish, and he popped up on which was fun on uh, social media on his on his rocking horse. Uh, so he's just wanted everyone to know he was still alive and. Um, Apparently he's on tour with that um, that Finnish holiday. It's kind of like the Finnish TSO. Um, and uh, I saw a picture of him with Nora from Battle Beast, and I was like, "Oh, that's a that's a combo right there." So, um, but uh, anyway, what did you uh, what did you think of the new song? I liked it. I mean, I don't know that I liked it as much as the Quest and the Curse, but the new single Beneath is very very good. I, I'm a sucker for anything that Jacob Hansen kind of mixes. I, I like the way that he kind of produces his uh the albums he's associated with she does sound like charlotte i'm sure that's not by accident i i I don't think they were looking for a charlotte clone but you can definitely hear uh diana leia's similarities there what what i'm curious about is 
and this is just because I haven't really seen much footage, but I want to see her live. I want to see whether she can pull it off live. Charlotte was very good live. And I wonder, I wonder if um, Diana Leia can do the same thing or if it's more of a product of the studio with, you know, technology being what it is. But it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to that set immensely. Both of these new singles are good. You, you mentioned the Marco uh, influence on some of these tracks. It's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to this album immensely. Yeah, and it is and it is available for pre-order now. The album is going to be called Dark Waters, and it's coming out, I believe, in March. Um, nice. I don't know, off, just off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, in March. And, and it's interesting because there's already a number of albums uh, coming out early next year that I'm looking forward to, including uh, this, uh, Beyond the Black, and Ad Infinitum, just to name a few. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'll, and I'll give you another one to add to that list. Right before we hit record, I listened to the new the, or the newest Catatonia single. Uh, the song is called Austerity. I heard this song and I immediately thought of you because it's, I don't want to say upbeat because it's Catatonia, right? But of all the songs I think I've ever heard by the band, this had the most polish and the most, um, you know, it wasn't quite as dark, but it still retained their normal sound, if you will. I think you're going to really like this album because the, the last single was very good. This one might even be better. I definitely recommend that you check this out. It's, 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 it's got that darkness that they're never going to get rid of, but for you, I think it's going to be a little more um, up your alley than some of their older material. I'm going to snag that right now. Um, yeah. Cause when Atrium came out, you had said the same thing to me and I, and I, you were right. Like I ended up, liking it quite a bit I, i'm i just i just find kind of the the more dreary catatonia just to be kind of a, a slog for me it's not really like it's just i don't know i find it a little bit kind of boring but when but when they show this kind of a, a little bit more of a uh i don't know a sunnier <laughs> side i guess right, if you right, will, right 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 um i, I kind of dig it so i'll definitely uh check this out and report back i i this this even more than the last one has wow, you okay. written all over it. So I, I think that that's uh, definitely a good thing. Um, did you, I know that you will get into the shows that we saw momentarily. Did you hear anything else that kind of caught your ear? Yeah. You know, honestly, um, I still, I'm working on paring down this list and um, I have one album left from this year that I haven't listened to yet. And it's Devin Townsend's light work. Mm. And um, so I was uh, working on a, a new playlist and, and sure enough, I, I come across this track light worker and I it blew me away. I, I was like, now I'm really looking forward to hearing the album. Um, I actually had a ch- uh, discussion with, uh, with my friend Caleb on Friday night about the album. And he was saying that like, he's like, it's, um, it's not like that heavy Devin, at least the first disc. Caleb didn't also like me, didn't know there was a second disc of all heavier songs. So yeah, I'm sure he'll be checking that out. But, um, it's that more kind of like uh, like more mellow or symphonic kind of style, and this song absolutely blew my socks off. I I fast tracked it all the way to the end. It's the last song on my latest playlist. That's how much I liked it. Um, nice. So it's not new per se. It's newish, um, but I do have to listen to uh, have to listen to that whole album. Um, Beyond the Black, who I mentioned earlier, has uh, another new single from their upcoming. Uh, self-titled album and the track's called dancing in the dark not a bruce springsteen cover mm. but um good song um and I, I actually i feel like we really should uh mention 
the new Metallica single, uh, Lux Eterna, um, which was released uh, in conjunction with um, them announcing a new album for next year called 72 Seasons and a, a very interesting tour uh, situation. So if you want to talk a bit about that. Yeah, I was going to mention this at the end, but because you mentioned the single and, and appropriately so, I figured I'll, I'll get into it now. They've done a concept which on the one hand I love, but on the other hand, it's actually keeping me from going to these shows. And I'll explain what they're doing. They're doing a run of stadium shows here in the in, in the U.S. and I think Canada as well and quite frankly all over the world. And what they're doing is two different shows, usually a day apart in each market with a different set list. And different opening bands on each of the shows uh, on each of the stops, which is kind of interesting. And you know, leave it to Metallica; they they got themselves some pretty big uh, bands for 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 this tour. They it, what is it? Um, Five Finger Death Punch, Pantera. I mean, it's like a who's who of opening bands. Although I, I kind of wish they would bring somebody like new and exciting out with them, but that's a whole nother gripe. I was curious to see what tickets would sell for and tickets are quite expensive as you'd imagine but they're only sold as a pair and according to Ticketmaster you can't split them up I wanted to go to one show I I don't know that I can commit to a full weekend of Metallica in August Um, so alas I'll be missing this tour but it's an interesting concept and I have no doubt that it'll sell well it's like uh, it reminded me of Prog Power like how you have to if you want to go to day three you're gonna have to go you you don't have to go to day four but you got to pay for it Uh, right so pretty much exactly yeah um I mean, I love the concept because a band like Metallica, for me, if I was going to go see them live, I know that they don't, they're, they are very good about not overdoing it with their newer material. Um, much like Iron Maiden, who we'll talk about, but, um, I feel like there's bound to be tracks that you wanted to hear that you're not going to hear that you have a much better chance of hearing if you have two sets, you know, in a weekend. Um, what song? I, uh, song from the Black Album popped onto my car yesterday, and uh, I forgot which one it was, but it was just kind of like there's a song that like Metallica might not play if you saw them one night, but if you saw them two nights, you might have a pretty good chance of hearing it. Um, you know, it wasn't Enter Sandman or, or Sad but True or anything like that. Uh, one of the the deeper cuts on, on the Black Album. Sure. But, um, I love that idea. Like it's kind of the appeal for me for seeing Pearl Jam so many times is never knowing what you're going to hear and knowing that there's a chance you'll, you'll get to hear something kind of rare and not, you know, hear the same A-list kind of material, I guess, or A-side material. It, it's when you're a big fan of a band, and especially a band like Metallica that's been around a long time, they have a lot of diehard fans that want to hear some deeper cuts. Like, you know, maybe they want to hear something from Load that, like, they wouldn't normally play or, or whatever, like... And then there's more songs that can be played from Puppets and Lightning and and some of the, you know, Justice and some of the classic albums. So it's a nice idea. Um, I've heard a lot of people kind of gripe about the openers. I mean, that they're not selling me on any of those openers. Like if they had done what Maiden did and got Within Temptation, um, get somebody that could maybe use a little bit of exposure in this country. Like I think I'd mentioned you like Soil Work, I think would have been a really cool choice. Um I think I would have been more inclined to make it happen, but I mean, I just, I, I really don't care about the bands that they have opening. I don't feel like the bands that they have opening need the exposure. Um, so I don't know. That would have been cool. I think that going to Iron Maiden, one of the, the, the draws for me was see, getting to see within temptation as well. It was like, I probably would have gone anyway, 
But then seeing within temptation on that bill, like cemented it for me. So I don't know. That's just me personally. Um, uh, I just was, I would have liked to have seen something a little more exciting as far as openers go. Hell, even if it was Megadeth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've taken them out before, so it, it wouldn't have been the first time. Um, cool concept. Uh, just not gonna, it's just not in the cards for me, but I hear what you're saying. I, I, I think that they're the kind of band where they have enough stuff that they could easily do four hours of material over two day over two shows, and you're still probably going to want to hear more stuff. How much? How much were the tickets? I didn't actually see. They were well over three hundred for the cheap seats, and I'm talking like I mean, we we saw them at Giant Stadium twenty five years ago almost, and this is you know the MetLife Stadium, so it's just the same parking lot, different different stadium. But like, if you're all the way up in the back corner, you can't see. There's a delay by the time the sound gets to you just because you're so far away. To spend 350 bucks was just a lot of money, in my opinion. And I have no issue spending money on concerts, but to get the good seats, you you were gonna, you know, five, six, seven hundred bucks. It just didn't make sense to me. And then it was a Friday and a Sunday. So I had work on Friday, or I will have work on Friday, and then I'll have to go get up for work on Monday. It just was a commitment. I was not ready to jump into i wish yeah, and that's wish... coming from somebody who lives fairly close to the arena whereas yeah, like I mean, for me no it would be for me it would be like i'd have to p- take like a four-day weekend yeah uh, so yeah it's just not going to be in the cards for me i haven't seen them live since 1998 when we went to giant yep. stadium so um long overdue you know, my, i agree but yeah maybe just a different circumstance maybe when they headline prog power i'll see them then yeah, there you go. Um, I, I I like it. Um, so let's let's um, let's let's get into the concerts that we saw this week because we saw two very very different shows. Uh, on Wednesday night, I went to see Soen with Oceans of Slumber opening, but it was what Oceans of Slumber did was interesting. They stripped down their material, and it was just Cami singing with their drummer on the piano. So there was actually no drums; it was piano. It was Cami and it was their bass player. So it was it almost had like a lounge feel to it. And it was almost like a Cami showcase of some of their material. I thought it was really good. They put on a really good show. I mean, again, another band in that catatonia vein. You're not listening to this and smiling and tapping your feet. This is very um, stoic, somber, dark material. But it, they, it was a really good performance. Um, and then it led up to Soen, who obviously was their, their full outfit. They are They are – easily one of the best newer prog bands on the planet and for my money one of my favorite bands that have come out the last 10 years easily are they better than vola though yeah well that would to be (laughs) determined apparently they are phenomenal live as well so i'm looking forward to their set ironically enough um having missed them a couple of weeks ago here in new york but um they are uh so and for my money is, is as good as it gets they are slowly becoming a pretty big deal because the venue was not packed by any means, but they were very happy with the turnout and said they'd be back for whatever that's worth. So I, I trust that this will be the first of many U.S. runs for them. Yeah, I mean, remember how Haken got started, like you know, and they really have, have um, gotten way more popular in the U.S. So um, I imagine that someone's on that same kind of uh, that Trajectory. same path. Yeah, no, no question. And then the next, uh, the next night, you went to see. Yeah, I saw Trans Siberian Orchestra for I, I honestly I've reached a point where I've lost count. Um, somewhere around twelve or thirteen, I think I've seen them. Um, 
they they've been touring for I want to say they said 22 years now. So I've probably seen about I've seen more than probably more than half of their tours uh, because they didn't tour the the first year of the pandemic. So um, I saw them their first the first time the first year they toured at the Beacon Theater. I'll never forget sitting in the front row of the balcony at the Beacon Theater with Nick and Mike and being absolutely floored that I was seeing these. To me, like sabotage orchestra, the, the sabotage orchestra um, playing live songs in front of me. Uh, it was so amazing, and and I, f- I for a while I had a streak where I like didn't miss them for like many years. Um, and uh, last year I didn't go. I just I don't know why. Uh, oh, oh, because I had I had well I got ended up getting COVID around the time they were touring, and it just didn't work out. So it'd been three years and. It was like I'm kind of glad because it felt like it felt like it was new again. Like uh, seeing them for the first time in three years, I was absolutely blown away. The set list was amazing. It, it's it's kind of morphed into this Trans Siberian Orchestra's greatest hits set now, where they're not really playing a full album, and I think that it actually works better because you don't have some of the I, I don't think I don't really want to say that there's any filler. There's definitely not any filler to me on that first album, but like <clears throat> they have more. <coughs> I'm joking. <coughs> hey, listen, they take your. They, they have more time to yeah. play. Some of the <clears throat> some of the songs that I think got lost over the years on some of the other albums, um, and I mean, got to see Russell Allen sing. I got to see Zach Stevens sing. All the women are so, so talented. Um, Kayla Reeves, uh, Georgia Napolitano. I, I give you, I give you credit and I'll, and I'll let you catch your own breath for a second. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> this is really just the, uh, tagging myself into the ring for a second, but I, I never knew the names of, of many of the backup female singers. So I'm impressed that you know the lineup as well as you do. I, I happened to take a look at the set list as well and I was, uh, I was blown away. I'm curious, did, did it have that when they, when they went into, um, well, I don't want to spoil it, but when they went into some of the sabotage stuff, did, they, did the fans, did you hear like the six people pop, you know, because it was like the six sabotage fans in the crowd? Or yeah, well, it was funny because the, um, Caffrey mentioned the band a, a couple of times, um, but uh, they always give, uh, Jeff Plate always gets a shout out in Rochester because he's from Horseheads, New York, which isn't ah. super far from here. So they, he, he was on the, the local news here that morning talking about stuff. So he's kind of like the, the, the local, local celebrity for TSO. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so it's, as what's kind of becoming a tradition is, is like this little, um, it's kind of like the, the Paul O'Neill tribute song of the year. And, um, so, you know, Chris came out and was talking about how, you know, Paul and John, and he mentioned John Oliva by name as well. Um, you know, when they came together and wrote together, like the magic that it created. And he was saying that like one of the very first rock operas was streets, which again, he mentioned by name. And, um, he said, you know, we're going to play a song from that. And he also mentioned Chris Oliva as well. Um, and so they played, if I go away, uh, but they did it in a style where, so Kayla Reeves, um, was the vocalist. She's, uh, from, she's from Texas and she's, uh, really, really talented. And, and so she, it was interesting that they didn't have Zach sing it, even though he was there. 
Um, that is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. She sang the song and it was like, um, it was just her and the keyboards um, to start. And then all the other vocalists came out onto the stage and they did like a, you know, a, a chorus version of the, the end of the song where they're all singing. I was like, no joke. Like I was like literally fighting back tears and like my goosebumps were just out of control. Like it was really amazing. And, and the fans, they run the gamut from like six year old kids to like 80 year old grandparents and everybody's just having such a good time. They're so into it. Um, it it's, it's really amazing. And, and I just, it's, it's just, it's, I can't, sometimes believe that I'm just watching sabotage with, you know, extra singers and, and a local orchestra um, playing in front of t- like, t- you know, 12, 13,000 people. It's, it's mind boggling, but uh, I had such a good time. I thought the set list was really, really excellent. Um, just uh, it, it wasn't a cheap ticket, but it was worth every penny to me. So I, I really, I, I, if you've never gone and seen them, um, I recommend that like you just at least once go and see TSO, especially if you can get that sweet spot right in between Christmas and, and Thanksgiving where you like, it's just the timing is right. Um, yeah. It was, it was great. It, it, I think I said to my friend Amy when we were walking out that it actually like it filled me, it filled my heart with joy uh, as corny as that might sound, but that's how I felt. It's um, that's probably the best endorsement you can give. I didn't see the tour. I haven't seen that in far too long. Talking again. <laughs> again, I'll, I'll tag myself in for, for, for the cheap pop. Um, ten, it's probably been 10 years since I've seen them. I looked at tickets this time around, but there were two negatives. One, the show was after Christmas, which just takes me out of it a little bit. And that's a pure me thing. But it's like, you know, I want to see this leading up to Christmas. Number two, um, this they did. They they were playing in New Jersey, right near MetLife Stadium, which we talked about earlier. And they weren't playing Long Island. They weren't playing New York City. Um, they weren't even playing, uh, you know, the, the Prudential Center in Newark. Like it's it just for some reason it's they just, really surprising. Yeah, especially, I was shocked. Especially considering that Paul O'Neill was from New York. You I know, know I know. And they always you don't they they've always played different arenas in this area, so it was a little surprising to me. I was I thought UBS Arena would have been a slam dunk. I would have signed up in a heartbeat and I would have gone to that show and I would have made a whole thing out of it. But alas, I'm hoping next year because it's possible that those tour dates were nailed down before UBS was even opened or like announced. Possibly. I, I don't know. That's true. Uh, you know, these it's it's quite the production. So yeah. I'm sure that these shows are announced. Or it also, played. you know, and it also has to do with are the Islanders playing at home a lot during that go. time. And, you know, and there's, you get, there's a lot of logistics involved. No, no, a great point. So uh, I'm glad you went. I'm going to try to do everything in my power to go next year. Um, and and let's, let's talk about some Iron Maiden because we had put up a poll on our Facebook group, which is Facebook. Seven years ago. Yeah, seven years ago. So this is, <laughs> this is a long time coming, I admit. Uh, our Facebook group, if you want to interact with us, is Metal Exchanges, plural, Metal Exchanges. And that's at Facebook. You can find us anywhere. Um, that's where we do, you know, do a lot of our interaction with uh, the listeners and whatnot. And we put up a poll, which of these early Bruce era albums would you like to hear us do an episode on? And it was a close vote, but Power Slave did win. And that's why we're going to be talking about their album from September 3rd, 1984. I cannot believe that this thing is almost 40 years old. That is mind boggling to me. Um, 
but it won. So without further uh, delay, here we go. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Um, this for, I think most people's money was the classic era and the classic lineup of this band that is seemingly timeless. Bruce Dickinson on vocals, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith on guitars, obviously Steve Harris on bass and Nico McBrain on drums. I mean, Nightwish goes- enthusiast Steve Harris. Yes, yes, which is <laughs> Steve Harris most known for his Nightwish fandom, obviously, as we referenced <laughs> last week. Um, no, but kidding aside, this this lineup is, um, you know, th- this is this is their classic lineup. All of them are still in the band, uh, so it's this is you know no surprise, obviously, with Janet Jeers on on guitars as well. This lineup, um, for my money, is as good as it gets, and I think that. I had some interesting experiences listening to this album in its entirety, which I've done plenty of times before. But before I get into kind of my first exposure to this album and to this band, when did you first hear them? Because I feel like everyone remembers their first when it comes to, to Maiden. Yeah, and it's I'm kind of glad that it, we ended up doing this album because there's a particular song that kind of is like the was really the the song that sucked me into Iron Maiden and. I will say um, I give you the credit uh, when we were in high school, uh, you know, you had started listening to Iron Maiden before I did. And, and again, this was one of those bands where um, because like Ralph was kind of my conduit to n- new, new metal bands or, or really any metal bands. Cause Iron Maiden, not that new in 1998. Um, Ralph was, was at the time, I don't know if it's, it's since changed, but at the time he just wasn't an Iron Maiden guy. And so he didn't, I don't know that he really had any of their albums. He never really like shared any of their songs with me. So they were just like one of those bands that like I knew I should know, but didn't. And you know, it was a different time. You didn't have YouTube and streaming and where I could have just jumped online and listened to it. Like, you know, and at this point the band has, uh, I think 11 studio albums up at, up at that by 1998. I think uh, virtual 11 had come out at that point. So, um, you know, where do you start? So I remember you had, I think we were at, I want to say we were at slip disc and you recommended that I get the best of the beast and yes. just kind of get like a, get like a taste. And, and, you know, it, it, it was perfect because, um, you know, it was kind of just a, a really good, uh, entry point. And, but the one song that really stood out to me was aces high. And, and I was just like, wow, like, okay, now I understand why this band is, so beloved. And so that was kind of my, uh, my intro. And, um, that, that, that album would also have, uh, two minutes to midnight on it as well. So those were really the two songs that I knew super well. And they just happened to be the first two songs on the, on this album. Well, yeah. And and I'm, I'm obviously, I want to go into depth about both of them for good reasons. I'll just kind of segue into why I started listening to them in high school. This is, I've, I've, told bits and pieces of this story, I think, at different times, but I'll I'll kind of bring it all together. Um, September 1st of 1999, Mike and I went to go see Megadeth at the Roseland Ballroom, and they were playing um, a show that I knew there were other bands on the bill, but what I didn't realize is that it was kind of a benefit show that they were doing, but they were playing Roseland, and Typo Negative was on the bill. They were like the direct support, so I got to see Typo Negative, even though I hadn't known who they were and it was cool for what it was there were some other bands on the show that you know 
I don't necessarily think are worth mentioning, but they, they are, they are um, <laughs> other bands on the bill as well. And the reason I say this is because um, before the show, they start playing music over the PA system as they often do in between sets. And I hear this song and I, I'm like, this is, this sounds awesome. And then all of a sudden the crowd starts singing the chorus for two minutes to midnight. I'm like, holy shit, what is this? And I quickly realized that it was Iron Maiden. So within short, you know order, what? I was with you. You were at the show. Not, no, it was a different show. It was, um, um, it was, um, unless this, happened also it's a totally different show but i had the exact same experience when we saw halloween at bb king's where in between i want to say in between like halloween and um jag panzer maybe they were playing iron Maiden over the the loudspeaker and everyone was singing along and i felt like such a schmuck for not knowing what the hell was going on well that, um, and i remember that that was 2003 so that was a couple of years after this but okay. i'm sure it was the same i'm sure it was the same experience type of thing but I'll, but it gets better so they, they're playing two minutes to midnight i figured out that it was iron maiden and i said to myself i have to go out and buy stuff from this band i need to hear more because it was like intoxicating but what was crazy was that because this was a benefit show the last two songs of of megadeth's like set for their encore they play two black sabbath songs never say die and paranoid fine tony iomi comes out and plays guitar on both of these black sabbath songs and bruce dickinson comes out and sings and i, I here i am being blessed with bruce dickinson live having heard maiden for the first time an hour and a half prior it was really weird, but it was it was a really cool thing. And needless to say, this was September of 99. I would later go out, I'm assuming within the next few weeks, and I bought Live After Death, which was essentially the tour for Power Slave. It was the Power Slave tour, um, and I was – I was hooked. I was immediately hooked from the from the minute I put on that album, and they played a lot of. I mean, more than half of or half of Power Slave is is on that live album, which to me is still the best live album that I've ever heard. And I remember hearing it and being like, "This!" I, I saw the brilliance, and I never. I mean, I get the time, mind you, Bruce wasn't even in the band, right? So you know, the Blaze was doing his thing, but when they reunited and got back together, it was a big deal, and they've still been doing arenas ever since. They are. Um, the thing I will say about them before we start talking about the album proper, their music holds up a lot better than a lot of this stuff in the eighties did because it's, no doubt. it's, 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 it's aged much better than a lot of the other stuff around the same time. And I think that that's a testament to not only the great songs, but the legacy that they've been leaving behind for, for decades now. Yeah. It's funny that you, uh, you mentioned, um, you know, the reunion, was that what in two thousand? Um, mm-hmm. Something like that. that. My second Iron Maiden album was Brave New World. Uh, ah, funny <laughs> because it was brand new and um, it was the original lineup. So I was like, "All right, well, I mean, I was so I had such a hard time trying to decide what my next, you know, or what my real like proper Iron Maiden album should be." Um, it was easier to just pick the one that came out. just then so that ended up being my so best of the beast and then uh brave new world were my first two iron Maiden albums i uh can't say that it was my it was definitely not my second because i had by by that point i had already started buying up all the old bruce dickinson stuff but i did buy brave new world and that's that that may be a conversation for another day but honestly that album is low-key brilliant and I, i i have a lot of thoughts on that and i may be in the minority but i think that's a phenomenal album um 
one that I don't think they've touched since 2000, if that makes sense. Like they'll play stuff live, but I thought that all the stuff that's come out since then has not been as good as Brave New World was uh, at the turn of the century. I don't think you're alone in thinking that. I've heard other people say similar. So uh, it also could have just been, I think it'll be like how we view the Halloween's release from last year, like 20 years from now. Like that was the, that was the the album that brought back that classic lineup. And so there's always going to be a little bit more uh, love, you know, and, and more, uh, you know, uh, just nostalgia for that in the, in the future. Um, because that's the album. I think maybe a lot of people never thought they'd see Bruce back with Iron Maiden again. And it, it was like, kind of felt like he had never left. It was, uh, it was kind of a, a great reunion. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this, this comes out in 84, but by this point, this Iron Maiden was on the map already. And by that, I mean, peace of mind comes out the year prior. And when they're doing their world peace tour, they've already started headlining, you know, larger venues and arenas in the U S. So that was the kind of, when they got put on the big scale stage here in the U S but by the same token, um, they needed to follow it up with another, kind of like all-star effort because you know you're at the pinnacle you want to keep that success up and and i think they did a phenomenal job with a follow-up to peace of mind which to me is still their my favorite album i don't know that it's their best but it's my favorite if you will um but they kept the quality of the material here going and so much so that this i think many would say is the one that cemented them not just they didn't put them on the map but it cemented them as a as a band that would just be you know at the top of their game for for decades to come um this this it's 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 interesting i think that if you asked 10 iron maiden fans i think you might get four or five different answers as to like whoa what's your favorite album this is always in the conversation but it's not necessarily always number one or number two and i just think again it speaks to the breadth and depth of their catalog the when you think about i mean the first two albums with uh with their original singer notwithstanding when you think about number of the beast peace of mind power slave somewhere in time like th- that's a that's a hell of a four a albums run. in a row right there like, yeah, that's, that, that's 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 impressive that that is a run uh that may not be matched in our lifetimes. I mean, like that's, that's, that's a run, especially for a time where, you know, bands weren't necessarily, I mean, I don't think bands were necessarily focusing on creating the perfect album. You had your radio hits, you had some filler material, but every one of these songs on all those albums, by and large, really, really good. Yep. No, no arguments here. So the, the album comes out and I'll tell you something that I didn't realize. I was always of the assumption that Steve Harris not only wrote most of the music, but might've even gotten songwriting credits on all the songs, but when you really do a deep dive into this stuff, there's songs that he doesn't even get songwriting credits on, which tells you how much talent is in the band, right? Because it's not just Steve Harris writing the music and everyone laying their stuff in. It's, you know, you got songs that are, and we'll go through it, obviously, but Adrian Smith gets credit, credit on two songs. Bruce Dickinson gets credit on four songs. And obviously, even though Nico is not getting the credit, his drum fills throughout this whole thing are just some of the most iconic drum beats you'll ever find on a heavy metal album in 1984. Yeah, and it's interesting because um, according to Wikipedia, it says that uh, this is the last album until Sen- Senjutsu where Dave Murray doesn't have any songwriting credits. Wow. But uh, it just goes to show you that, that Iron Maiden's always been a very collaborative 
kind of band. Um, it's not just one guy or two guys kind of doing the bulk of the songwriting. And this song, this album really shows that. I, I didn't realize that, that Bruce Dickinson had as many songwriting credits as he did. And now that I'm looking at it, it's actually some of my, um, some of the songs I enjoyed the most on this album were actually written by Bruce. So nice. Um, let, let's 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 uh, let's get into it. The, I, I think that you'd be remiss not to start with the cover art on this one, just because their 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 imagery is just so iconic. And this one, obviously, uh, it's Eddie in, in ancient Egypt at the at the front of the pyramid here. Um, it's interesting. Every one of their albums, Senjetsu has like the whole Japanese shogun era type thing going on, but every album has its own feel to it and this one definitely has that ancient egypt uh feel to it which was interesting i guess you know it's 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 definitely iconic imagery this is like to me this is the kind of album you want to have on vinyl just because it's such a gorgeous like the artwork is so awesome like having the cd or the cassette version is almost doing it in injustice because it's it's just too small yeah, you're a hundred, a hundred percent. I, I, I can totally see that. And this is obviously a Derek Riggs design as he's been with them forever. I mean, it's there, there, he's almost synonymous with the band at this point. Um, what I will say is this, this album arguably kicks off with perhaps the absolute best opening track on an Iron Maiden album in Aces High. And it's so good that they still use like the, the Churchill speech into Aces High is either the beginning or end of their set, even today. Not not always, but often, right? Like this tour was the last song. It was the last song of the encore. Um, I, I, on the last tour, I think they opened with, with Aces High. I would argue for my money that this is one of the top five Maiden songs for most people. I don't know that it's my in my top five, but it's it's damn near close. It is such a fast, blistering uh, metal tune. But I, I want to throw something out before I, you know, I, I kind of go a little bit deeper. Is this the first power metal song ever written? It could be. I mean, it's around this time. I mean, I feel like Manowar could be in the conversation too for like making some power metal esque songs, but um. I think there's a reason why that this song was the one that really just grabbed me um, when I listened to that whole album full of, uh, you know, hits, uh, you know, why, why Ace is high and not bring your daughter to the slaughter? Well, because listen to it. Like it's, it's, it's what exactly what I look for in, in music is just like everything you just said, like fast paced, like just phenomenal, um, drumming the the bass the bass lines are totally um you could just they're not they're not hidden like you could they're not drowned out they're they're a, a star and not a uh and not a co-star um just everything about bruce's vocal performance the song is catchy as hell the guitar solos are insane um it's and and it's it's a fast song it's a four and a half minute track um i have to say like over the years i've just played the ever loving shit out of it to the point where like it's it probably would have been my song of the week in years past but like it's just not to say that i'm over it but it's just kind of like i kind of killed it instead of listening to other iron maiden songs that i didn't know what which was what i should have been doing i was just listening to the same 20 songs repeatedly um but i mean th- that's not to say this uh, it's still not 
a fantastic song and I completely would understand why anyone would have it in their top five maiden songs of all time. It's just amazing. And seeing it live recently was great. I, I guess I never realized that the Churchill speech is not actually on the album. It's from the music video, I guess. So yeah, um, yeah. But, but it is so iconic. And to me, it's like almost part of the song at this point. Or yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing I'd be remiss not to point out there's a reason they call Bruce the siren. The note that he hits at the end of this is one of the most iconic vocal notes I think that you hear on any album by anyone. That just wail <laughs> at the end of this track is um, amazing. And the fact that now obviously he can't do that now because no nobody nobody in their late fifties or sixties could possibly hit that note. But he gives it. He gives it an A. He gives it. I give him an A for effort. But that that note that he laid down on this disc is just um, one of the most iconic moments in heavy metal. Yeah, and it's the first song. Yeah, it's the first <laughs> song, and then we get into the after the, the previously mentioned two two minutes to midnight. Again, this song was on a song that I had played out a ton, and like I almost I almost got sick of it after a while because it was like I just loved the catchiness and the and the chorus and the sing along and the the whole thing it was like a true hit that i could just you hear on the radio type of thing um with the fantastic drumming and the pre-chorus everything about this track is awesome and then i got sick of it and then i didn't listen to it for a long time because it was just i played it out so much but going back to it this week i fell back in love with it and i actually am going to make it my song of the week as a nostalgia tribute to when i first heard it so let's give it a listen and then we'll talk about it some more Sounds good. It's almost surprising to me how much I enjoyed this song, given like the how I f- it fell out of favor for a bit. But it, it's back with a vengeance, and I think that it's another song that can be credited for putting them back on the map, or I should say, like a, a song that like it was another, I just one of those iconic songs that you just attribute to attribute to the band. Um, not as fast, not as power metal as Ace is High, but just a great metal tune, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it really is like um, to me uh, uh, an example of how Iron Maiden is the master of that mid tempo, like making a mid tempo metal song still sound exciting and interesting. Um, and this is like a, just one of those songs where um, you know it's it's a it's a sing along live. Um, it's I think it's um, kind of perfect. You play it at eleven fifty eight at night and then when it's over you put living after midnight by Judas priest on and you got your whole night covered at least uh you know when it switches over to the next day um 
but yeah, this is a really good song. And just like you, yeah, I kind of, this is another one that I just overplayed. But I think, um, I think just like you, I've kind of uh, had like a renaissance reappreciation for it. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, I mean, but uh, interesting that the two most well-known songs on this album are the first two tracks, and and now it's kind of like the the la- the last six tracks are the the lesser known uh, songs or the, or a little bit deeper cuts. Um, you can probably tell me which songs are the you know the really deep ones versus the not so deep ones. I can kind of take a guess just based on the sound, but um, I mean, hell of a start on those first two tracks. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the depth of the last six tracks are a little bit deeper. Although I will say that the way this album ends with "Power Slave" and "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner," those are other iconic tracks on the album. So it's almost like the, the Oreo cookie. The cream in the middle here, though, is the stuff that, if unless you're an art, you know, a hardcore fan, you may not know. And it starts with "Lost for Words," uh, "Big Aura," which is interesting because you have these two iconic tracks at the beginning. And how do you kind of top that? Well, y- you don't. You can't top <laughs> those first two. But what does Maiden do? They put on an instrumental track as their third track, which is just like when you think they're going to zig, they zag. Which I-, I give them credit for that. Nobody talks about this tune. And I remember the first time that I heard it, I was waiting for the vocals to kick in because it sounds like there's going to be Bruce Dickinson vocals on this, but they just it just never comes. But it's like this mid-paced rocker. Every instrument shines at different times, and the mix is just phenomenal on this song and the rest of the album. I'll be honest with you. I would love to see them open a show with this song. It's never going to happen, but I feel like it would be an awesome – like you start with this awesome um, – you know, this awesome four minute instrumental and then go into something else. I feel like it would be a really cool setup to the show. It's After fu- Doctor it's, it's Doctor, fu- of course. It's funny you were saying that. I was just thinking that that's this is what they could play before the band comes on stage. Just yes. play it over the loudspeaker just to get everybody amped up. Because it's very like they could have easily slapped some words over this and it would have been a classic vintage Iron Maiden song. Um because it has all of the all the things you love about a, a, a very guitar driven Iron Maiden song. Um, I, I didn't know it was instrumental the first time I heard it. So I'm like waiting for the, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't start out and like, you know, it doesn't feel like it's supposed to be an instrumental song. I'm waiting for Bruce to come in and I had to wait until flash of the blade to hear him. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's good. It's, it's, and you're right. Like it, it kind of makes sense. Like it's a little bit of a palate cleanser after these two, like, you know, all time great, you know, metal songs. Um, I, I typically would like, I, I think if I'd gone, gone into it being like, Oh my God, there's a four plus minute instrumental song, the third track in, I'm like, Oh, that's like a, a momentum killer, but it, it totally isn't. I agree. It's, it's well placed. Um, and I don't know any band that really puts an inch, like a full length instrumental that far up after two tracks, like the first two, very interesting, very interesting. But you mentioned Flash of the Blade, which is the fourth track. Um, this one is written by Bruce. Um, and I should mention that Two Minutes to Midnight was written by Smith and Dickinson. Harris wrote A Lost for Words. What, what are your thoughts on Flash of the Blade? Because this is, I, I'm assuming, a song that you've never heard in your life. It sounded like vaguely familiar, but I didn't know it very well. I came to find out that Rhapsody did a cover of it and I've never heard it before. It's a, it's a bonus track on um, one uh, from chaos to eternity. So I need to, I need to find that and listen to that. Um, but this, uh, this song I absolutely love. It's actually going to be my song of the week. I, I 
really, really liked it. Um, it's, uh, it's like just classic Iron Maiden. It's like, except I just didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that yeah. it was classic Iron Maiden. I had to hear it first. Um, but I, this is the one that, um, I think this and, and Power Slave are the two songs I didn't know as well that, uh, that just, um, I found like stuck in my head, uh, after hearing it. But, um, I think I, I just want to, I give this song just the edge. And, and, and incidentally, they were both written by Bruce. Um, but, uh, just everything that I love about an Iron Man song is in this song. Um, I just, uh, I really liked it. Um, what, what are, uh, what are your thoughts? I'll share my thoughts in a second. I want to give it a listen first. All right, here it is. chose this song this song to me out of all the songs on the album i think has the feel of something you would have heard off those first two maiden discs killers which we talked about in the archives and the self-titled release just because it almost has this um punkish quality to it in certain ways and what i particularly enjoy about flash of the blade is at the beginning it almost has this scat like quality to it which i thought was kind of interesting for an iron maiden song I don't think that it's their best song. I don't love the verses, but I enjoy the chorus. Bruce sounds great. I love the fact that they use the backing vocals in spots, like this layered backing vocals, and the layered guitars as well, which is just like a really nice, cool sound. So good choice. I'm, I'm, and I'm glad you chose something that wasn't, um, you know, aces high, just because I, I want, you know, it gives us a chance to listen to some of these deeper cuts again. And yeah, that, I'll use I'll use Ace as high as the intro to the episode I anyway. Think that so that we, would be we'll, uh, we'll a wise anyway. a wise choice for sure. <laughs> um, and that kind of concludes side one of the album. Side well, I, I guess I guess not. Side one is actually concluded but by the Duelists, which is another track that nobody talks about. It's uh, over six minutes in length. It's it, you know it clocks in with a with a you know a, it's not a short song by any means, but for some reason nobody talks about this track. And I've got some really strong thoughts on it because as much as I like it and I do like it, to me, it's a complete ripoff of one of their older songs, Where Eagles Dare. Every time I hear Where Eagles Dare, I'm like, I've heard the duel. Like the duelist is just like the same thing. So I don't know. Maybe that's kind of why I knock it a little bit because I don't think it's the most original Maiden track. But the second half of this song especially that extended instrumental section is is quite a bit different than the first half of the song and i like that a lot um it's almost proggy in certain areas it's just a very interesting track that they kind of rehash the first three minutes and the back end is like something completely different yeah i I mean i could definitely see that um i i liked it uh quite a bit honestly uh, 
look, I liked all these songs that I didn't know going going into it. And, and what's interesting is that I feel like they all have their own flavor. I mean, maybe they're ripping off older Iron Maiden songs, <laughs> but at least they sound different from each other. Um, and uh, I, I like this one a lot too. Um, yeah, not you know, I, I kind of get what you're saying, like that it does have a very similar kind of gait uh, as. Um, uh, what do you say? Fly, uh, yeah, where Eagles Dare. Um, but uh, yeah, it's another really good song. I I I feel like they kind of just um, it, it, it the the rest of the album is just like one like really just ba- like banger after another. I, I I like this one quite a bit. Maybe even a little bit more than than you did. But uh, good good tune. You know, it's I mean, obviously it's a, a good song. I don't, I don't want to sound, make it sound like I hate it. I just think it's not their most original track, but you get to back in the village, which does kick off the B side of the album, which is only three tracks long because of the final track. But back in the village is probably, probably my favorite of the four unknown or the four real dark horses on this one. Um, it's, oh, it was almost my song of the week. And I just, I would love to hear the band play a song like this live just once in their set list. Like do a greatest hit set, play new stuff. I have no problem with any of that, but just throw in a song like back in the village just once it would have been like played two shows per tour per, you know, nights in a row with two different sets. You might get songs like this. It's kind of to my point earlier is that like a band like this could really do well to have a, a show like that where you're getting, Maybe something like Flash of the Blade or Back in the Village or, you know, so just yeah. saying. Uh, uh, no no argument from here. And maybe if Maiden was doing it, I would go to both shows. Um, they, they, it's another mid-paced rocker, but it sounds completely different from the songs that came before it. And like, I don't know, close your eyes and just tell me that you couldn't picture this being on one of the Keepers albums. Yeah, th- there were there were songs that I was listening to on this album where I was like, Boy, if Kiss was did end up being the replacement for Bruce Dickinson in, in the you know the mid to you know the mid nineties, I feel like he really would have fit in well, especially on some of the songs during this era. Like it for definitely sure. crossed my mind. So yeah, I definitely uh, definitely agree with you. Definitely agree with you there for sure. Um, just uh, yeah, another really good tune. And you now now we get into the real back end of the album where there's two major like iconic maiden tracks in a row. I don't know that it's as big as the front end, but power slave and rhyme of the ancient mariner. Now they're really two epics in a row. Power slave is a long song. It clocks in at seven minutes and 12 seconds for me. And this is just a me thing of the four, like bigger hits on the album. This is my least favorite. And it was curious to see what was going to happen for me because I've always thought this was an overrated song. And I've always preferred the live after death version to the album version. I thought I think that the reason is this is this version on on Power Slave is a little too clean, a little too polished, and I like the raw nature of the live version of this track better. But I will say this: after repeatedly listening to it this week, I can understand why it's so highly regarded. Like I appreciate it. I just happen to like the live version better. Um, and and to me, I think that the iconic rhyme of the ancient mariner is such an epic way to end it that it loses a little bit in terms of where it's placed as well. But I'd like to hear your thoughts. What, what did you think of, of, of the title track? 
I liked it a lot. I, it, as a matter of fact, like it's, I thought it was such an interesting choice to be the title track, if that makes any sense. Because it, of all the songs on the album, I feel like it matches the cover art, yes, uh, the best. Like it, I agree it, it almost, with that. It, it has a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of kind of a of a Middle Eastern or an Egyptian kind of vibe to it. Um, Good point. It, again, it, it's another one of those songs like Two Minutes to Midnight, where it has that kind of that Iron Maiden chug where it, it's a, it's a mid tempo song, but it never, it's never uninteresting or boring um, no. because the, the way that they, the way that they construct their songs, both like vocally and guitar, there's like these hooks in the, in the guitar work and the, um, and the vocals and even the, the bass lines in certain spots. It just, it's such a, to me, like it, for my taste, for me to be um, like uh, kept interested in mid-tempo songs, they have to be like this well-constructed. The like an Iron Maiden really does it better than just about anybody. So you know that's why I can love a song like Ace is High, but I could also love a song like Power Slave, which are, have a completely different vibe and tempo, um, but are both just really fantastic and, and interesting songs. Yeah, that was exceptionally well said. I'm glad you brought up a number of those points. Um, they they definitely keep it interesting. And they end this album with the epic of epics, a 13-minute, 45-second epic, much like the book, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And I remember – I have such vivid memories of seeing this song live with you in New Jersey when we saw them. We were sitting stage right on the side of the stage – and I just remember like the set, like you couldn't really see it because we were off to the side, but like the set was like collapsing as like the, as the, with the ship in the night. I mean, it was really, really iconic imagery when they do this live. That was the first night I met what, who would become Pat's wife. Uh, they really? were still dating at the time, but that was the first time I met, uh, I met Z that night. So, um, that was I. That, I remember that, and it was also the first time I saw Iron Maiden. So that was also a memorable part. <laughs> I mean, I guess we could. I guess we could figure out which one might have been more memorable. I don't know, but it, but I'll say this: um, I love this song live, even though it takes up half the set list. But there's everything about this song is phenomenal. That opening riff, that and then Nico's drumming just behind the riff. Bruce's vocals. This is a this is an album closer, and quite frankly, could be a, a set closer just because of the way it kind of tones down in the middle of it and gets a little bit of quiet and spooky, and then it just picks up steam again at the end. Um, the middle section kind of takes you out of it a little bit, but it's needed f- to tell the rest of the story for obvious reasons. Um, the beginning and the end, though, are just this this iconic this journey that they they take you on, which they can do like few others. I, I like in the middle, like, you know, it, it kind of has this kind of like spooky, chilled out kind of bass line. And then it starts to to pick up again. And it's almost is um, it's reminiscent of, of uh, how the song Number of the Beast kind of opens up where it's like it's like and then it just and then it explodes back yep. into, you know. Um, but yeah, again, like this was a song I was kind of dreading not dreading but like just i wasn't looking forward to it because like it, you know it's iron maiden and like what's the third it was an almost 14 minute song by iron maiden at the end of the album like am, am i just gonna get bored of it and then 
turns out, no, I'm not. It, it was, uh, it was really my first time like listening to it repeatedly. And I ended up liking it a little bit more each time that I listened to it. And, uh, it's also Ken Griffey Jr.'s favorite Iron Man song. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Took me a while, but I I got you there. I thought it was going to be a Jay Buna reference, but I I I, I'm with you. Um, This is why you. This is why it's important to watch the video version of the podcast to 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 see blank stares like that. My 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 the the wheels was turning, but eventually I I got it. Shout out to Edgar Martinez. Um, What 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 I was going to say is this: I was I was going to say something, and then you completely took me off the trains. But I'm I'm back. Um, Rolling Stone comes out with a list of the 100 greatest metal albums of all time this comes in at 38 i can't i mean i maybe not my taste necessarily but i can certainly understand that it belongs on any best of metal list it is a great album um i would love to do a comparison when i was half joking about picking peace of mind next week i would love to compare this to peace of mind and see which one you like better like just top to bottom i'm not going to choose that but um a phenomenal release. I'm glad we got to talk about it. And I'm curious on a scale of one to 10, what are you giving this? Uh, I'm going to go with, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I listened to this album like six times and I never actually stopped to think of what I was going to rank it, which is unusual. Um, I would, I think I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to go with an 8.75. It's just a, um, it's just classic vintage Iron Maiden start to finish. The songs that I loved already, I still love, and the songs I didn't know, I now love. So uh, there you go, just I, really good, and, and and you know, perfect length, like you know, fifty minutes, get in, get out. Um, the the it doesn't the feel long. Minute, what's that? It doesn't feel like fifty minutes. It feels no, more no. like thirty five. And, and the last thirteen, you know, the last fourteen minute song, really, the last twenty minutes of the album, are these last two tracks never drags. Um, just super, just this is super like, um well-balanced but all strong uh album i i I, for it's it's pretty it's probably one of the higher the highest scores i've given an album that i did not know start to finish going in yeah and i had no doubt you were gonna love this one um it was nice to hear it time and time again this week as well i think your score is perfect i don't know that i would put it in that rarefied air of a nine but it, it deserves more than an eight. So an 8.75 for me as well. Excellent, excellent choice. Um, I, I think I can get you. I, I think that give, give me a choice. You know, you, you talked about those albums earlier, that run of albums and, you know, seventh son of a seventh son should be up there as, I mean, uh, yeah, the seventh son should be up there as well. It's just like that one album after another where they were just hitting home run after home run. I think I can get you to an Iron Maiden nine. I just have to pick a different album. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Um, I'm I, I'm pulling up our, our spreadsheet just because I'm curious um, how we ranked Killers when we did that, which was God quite a while ago. Now that I uh, now looking back on it, I'm also scrolling through this Rolling Stones list because I'm curious um, a if there are any other Iron Maiden albums, which I'm just going to assume there are, and if so, where they were uh, placed. Uh, it looks like. Um, Power, yeah, Power Slave is at uh, number 38. Um, and as I'm scrolling down, um, but anyway, in the meantime, I'm going to pull up uh, if it ever will load. Because um, hmm. I was actually surprised at how much I enjoyed Killers, uh, considering that it was a pre Bruce album. And, and it, there's 
but there's definitely it's kind of like listening to when dream and day unite by dream theater is that like even though it's a, a not the singer that you grew up knowing um you can you can hear all of these uh little hints of, of what's to come um yeah. and, and i think that that, that that's kind of how i felt about uh killers uh, it was much better than i than i thought it was going to be so um i'm very curious like again paging through um you know peace of mind i know probably about half half the album uh somewhere somewhere in time has uh, wasted years which is one of my all-time favorite songs but um also has uh, heaven can wait uh alexander the great like some uh, good stuff on there and then seventh son has uh you know moonchild infinite dreams the evil that men do um only the good die young which i love the maiden united cover with uh with um damien wilson singing yeah, it in an yeah. acoustic kind of way it's amazing and clairvoyant is one of my all-time favorite um my armenian songs as well so i would be very curious to see where uh those albums would rank and as i'm scrolling through this rolling stone list um the the actually the the debut album is at number 13 uh the self-titled debut um uh, you have to believe there's there's got to be another median album in the top 10 and yes there is number of the beast ranked number four um so yeah that's that was uh, the highest ranked uh, iron median album on that list um i'm not gonna belabor that the point maybe we could do an episode just on that list <laughs> that would be interesting um, um to critique yeah, their list uh, but, but um needless to say whether it's your favorite maiden album or whether it's uh you know just up there you know what what hasn't been said about this band that's still going strong you know 40 years later yep and uh i got so uh i I actually gave killers an eight and you gave it a seven so um i i i'm almost surprised i ranked it that high but i guess i guess i really liked it i don't know that i don't know that any of the first maybe seven six or seven iron maiden albums i don't think i would give less than an eight to and I'm just that's just a guess. Well, I mean they're 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 all great in their own way. I I I think that I gave Killers a seven because it's a good album and there's flashes of brilliance, but there's also some, you know, whatever, some some tracks that are maybe not as good, but this this is a clear cut above uh most. But any any of those albums in that run of five or so are 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 up there in this in this um really, really good range. So that, that's what I got. Um couple of news items I just want to get into briefly just because I think that they're worth mentioning. Uh, Powerwolf, who we will be seeing in New York in February, is scheduled to release their new album, Interludium, in April of this year, April 7th to be exact. Um, whenever there's a Powerwolf album, I listen to it and then I don't forget, then I forget about, about, it. about it. So <laughs> I, I'm hoping this, we'll see what happens. But I, we, we have to do a Powerwolf episode in advance of that show. Like I need to sit down and do it. Maybe we'll even do their live album so I can kind of get a taste of a bunch of things but uh, sure. throw that out there for the future i know our our mutual friend dale uh saw them over the weekend he was uh over in europe as dale tends to tends to be a lot of yes. the time um because I, I i had sent him a message joking like oh, you couldn't wait a couple of months and see them in the u.s and he goes he goes honestly i just happened to be over here so it just worked out and he goes you guys are in for a real treat uh, when you see them. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, I know you're not a, a, a big fan. I'm not, I'm more of a fan than you are, but I'm not going to say they're like one of my favorite bands in the world, but they're a band I always enjoy. 
But I will say I am very much looking forward to seeing them live because I think much like an Iron Maiden show, it's very, very visual. It's not just about the music, but it's also about the visuals and everything. And I think it's going to be uh, – Quite a quite a show. I I don't disagree with you uh, at all there. I'm looking forward to it immensely, and I I feel like it will force me to listen to them more, and maybe I'll maybe I'll come around on on some of that studio material. Uh, one other band that's going back into the studio and recording, and I believe scheduled for an album at some point in 2023, is Pyramids, who has released a slew of good albums. Their last album was in my top three when it came out. I absolutely loved it. Uh, but we found out that uh, Melissa Bonney from Ad Infinitum, who we've talked about on the show, is guesting. We're doing a guest spot on that Pyramids album. So I am all ears and all in for when this thing uh, comes out. It is- I thought you were going to say I'm all ears and all eyes. <laughs> no, get your head out of the gutter. All in and all and uh, all in for this album. I'm looking forward to it immensely. Um I, I expect big things from from them just because they've been so consistent and so good with their, their material as of late. Yeah, um, I definitely, especially the last two albums for sure were really, really strong. Um, and that's just they've become one of those bands where I, I got like I'm excited when they uh, release a new album. And um, I think the uh, I finally got a chance to listen to the Mantric Momentum album, which, you know, if you need something to hold you off while you wait for the next Pyramids album, if you want to hear kind of uh, almost a marriage of um, Divided Multitude and Pyramids, uh, this is a uh, – I was very impressed. Very I thought it was quite good. We'll see if it ends up on my, my list that um, – that uh, might might be debuting in mid March at the at the, the rate I'm going right well, now. But um, Brian Brian, on one it. of our listeners, has it as his album of the year at this point. So you the, wow, the, cool. so it's it's uh, there's a lot to love on that album, and I, I want I want to spend some more time with it. But I did definitely enjoy it the two or three times that I played it so far. Um, I want to I want to talk. I'll tell a little story as to why I selected the album that I've selected for next week. Um, I was hungry. I wanted a burger and I walked into Five Guys. And when I was in Five Guys, I hear music on the loudspeaker. And I heard a song that I hadn't heard in a couple of years. And I said to myself, this is a band where I know two songs. They happen to be on the album that I selected. And I just thought it would make for an interesting conversation because they're a little bit different, but they were really big for a short period of time. And that is Faith No More. And the album is called The Real Thing. I don't know the nine songs on this album i only know two of them and needless to say they're the first two songs on the album and then the rest of the album i don't know but that song epic is so no pun intended epic <laughs> epic i thought it would make for an interesting discussion um and they're just a little bit different than some of the stuff we listen to so i'm gonna we're gonna do some faith no more next week and go back to 1989 this is great because um same. I only know those first two songs, uh, and I only know from out of nowhere from Halloween yeah. covering it on their uh, metal metal jukebox album from 1999. But I've gone back and uh, listened to the Faith No More version. And it's a really good song. I agree. Um, so Mike Patton's vocals are so unique. Um, it, it's and I've he- I've heard people that are big fans. So this is something that. I probably never would have dug into so otherwise. So I'm glad that you chose this. I think this will be really interesting. But you know, Epic is just one of those songs that, like, it must have when it came out, it must have just like 
just smashed people right in the face, especially because I know that they had a, you know, there was a music video for it on MTV and, and what have you. So um, it, it's it's a song that I've grown to love, um, but I don't think that I really knew of it until maybe I was in college. Like it took a while for this song to get on my radar and, and it would, it would end up on um, one of the NHL uh, video game soundtracks, like year, like years later, like after I stopped playing wow. those games. So probably like Oh seven, Oh eight, Oh nine, somewhere in that area. So it's obviously a song that has appreciation. Um, so very good. Uh, that's, that's interesting. I, would not have seen that. Coming. Yeah, I have this <laughs> list of random things, and it was it was it was time to get to this one. And and thanks to the to the to the crew at Five Guys for a delicious lunch and some inspiration. So thank you. I thought I swear to God when you started talking about how like you were hungry, I thought you were gonna say we're gonna do Twisted Sisters Stay Hungry. <laughs> <up."> <laughs> you know what? That wouldn't have been a bad segue either. But that this this is a true story. That's where I that's where I most recently heard uh, Epic. So needless to say, it should be interesting. Um, give us a, give us a five-star review. If you think we deserve it, keep on, uh, keep on listening, send the requests in. We still have a list. We will get to all of them eventually, but we like seeing what you guys want to hear. So keep the list coming and, uh, we will, we will check in next week with some, um, experimental, funky, rappy, progressive thrash, whatever the hell they are at Faith Memorial. And and you know what? Just because it's uh, a tradition that we kind of had, I'm just going to, just lay it out what we're going to do the week after, because I'm sure most people that have been listening for the podcast for the last few years probably know what's coming. And I, I told you one thing, but I've changed, I've changed my mind. Um, Oh, we, so, you know, we've, uh, the first year of the podcast, we covered, uh, sabotages dead winter dead as, as well as TSO's, uh, first album. And then last year we did, uh, edge of thorns, which I believe was a, a request. Um, so we're going to do sabotage again, uh, the week after faith, no more. Um, and you know, I, I believe it was, uh, Brian who said you guys did two Zach albums. Maybe it's time to do a John album. And I was battling between, uh, gutter ballet and streets, which are my two favorite of the, the John albums. And, uh, I had told you we were going to do gutter ballet, uh, because it happened to be, I think December 1st was the, uh, anniversary date in 1989 then i saw tso play if i go away and it kind of reminded me that streets was an album that i got for christmas Ah. uh, a little bit before christmas when i was in high school so it even though it's not a christmas album i it makes me think of christmas and i just think that i favor this album slightly over gutter ballet as much as i'd love to talk about either of them so i i'm changing my I'm changing my album to Streets, okay. so we're going to talk about Streets uh, a couple of days before Christmas, and uh, that's going to be our annual Sabotage episode. I like it, and obviously we've got our best of 2022 in the works as well, which we've, you know, has become a tradition here as well. So lots to look forward to and lots of uh, lots of new albums to look forward to in 2023 as well. Um, appreciate it. This was a fun one. I, I'm glad we got to talk about some uh, classic Maiden and we'll do some Faith No More, some Sabotage and a whole bunch of other stuff on the way. So as I said, yeah, we should do um, we should do another poll uh, sometime in the future because um, I, I kind of like that once in a while, like we, we don't have to rack our brains over what to play. So it's nice to, to do something that uh, other people 
are, are kind of into. So I, like I don't know. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll Throw do some a random uh, album we'll on a, there and let people go. Yeah, we'll do a poll. Which which Blaze Bailey Iron Maiden <laughs> album should we cover next? <laughs> I like it. Um, sounds good, man. I enjoy the week. I look forward to catching up with you. Uh, catching up with you and talking some faith no more next week. Absolutely, Goodbye, brother. All right, take care.